You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. I'm just not into canned drum beats. Canned drum beats offend me. <laughs> there's it's another like, title you know what you do uh, i can just push this button and you know you can go home 30 years of learning an instrument and you can just go home because i get this button that just goes <laughs> but at the same time you know that's fine that's just my viewpoint nobody gives a shit what i think anyway and you know obviously a million kids love the shit out of edm and I'm the old fart sitting here like, oh, if I hear that fucking hi-hat cicada thing one more time, I'm going to fucking puke. Yeah. Are you referring to trap beats? Are you talking about trap beats? Cicada thing? I mean, I, I like trap beats if there's a fucking drummer playing them, but it's not. It's a fucking... I'm like, what about drum pads, like a drummer playing an electronic drum pad? How do you feel about that? That's fine. You're, you're giving a drummer work. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always with Benny and Corey, and we are back for part two with our dear friend, Lost Symphony bandmate, Paul Lorenzo. We kind of got him amped up by the end of part one, so we're gonna jump yeah. right into all of his opinions on everything to do with wedding bands, corporate bands, playing with people. We, we, we kind of jumped right into his, it in this one. His opinion on DJs is very, <laughs> it's a very strong opinion on DJs. I like to show people in real time how I like to trigger Paul to get the best, elicit the best drumming and uh, artwork out of him. Like, because you have to realize to get Paul to be at his greatest, you have to trigger him like DJs do. Yes. So prepare to get triggered here on part two with Paul Lorenzo on 2020. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza here, as always, with Siobhan and Ben, and we are super pumped to welcome back for part two, for the second time, so third episode, uh, Mr. Paul Lorenzo of Lost Symphony, Bloodline Theory, and many other musical projects. What's up, Woo. Paul? Hi, Paul. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where you Paul. speak well before before we lose our energy so we ended part one getting amped up about yes. talking about playing in wedding bands corporate stuff what it's like to be an MC entertainer and Paul was getting all fired up about the, the yeah, shit so that happens that he does not start. like let's start with this Paul so how do you feel about when the singer let's say who doesn't play an instrument or singers decide to let's say feel out the crowd and let's say go against the set list that you've neatly organized in tandem with your iPad and your BPM machine, metronome or something. Um, how do you feel about it when they change it based on like, you know, the Karens in the first seven rows? I'm not throwing any shade at anybody. I'm just saying that, you know, it happens a lot. It's not, I'm asking how you feel not about just a it. Not a singer or anything like that, but there's a lot of times when it's like, you know, 
just throwing songs out there and it's it's fine and i'm not in as bad of a position as say a keyboard player would be because like i said i i just have to find the tempo and get it to the tempo and to be honest if i don't get it to the tempo it's not the end of the world the keyboard player on the other hand if they don't get the patches right for whatever parts they're playing if they're playing piano instead of synthesizer it's a little rough and you know there's a certain organization that goes to get in the, the set list you know in a certain order and you know everybody on the same page and when you jump away from that it's just more of that dead time that you don't want Weird you said that because i was thinking to myself does that work hold on it's just you know ben we can't, we can't hear your piano at all irrelevant yeah. irrelevant yeah. no i, was playing I jump I, on the piano <laughs> but yeah it's you know it's just tough to keep the set list rolling like that. And it's like, it's an either or sort of thing. It's like, you can either keep the set rolling or you can, you know, feel out the crowd and try to like throw in a song randomly here or there. But then it's like, even after that song, it's like, well, now where are we? Are we going back to the set list or are we like throwing out another song? Like what's, what's the plan? Yeah, in, in my experience, I've, I've learned a lot about communication and keeping things going from some, you know, a lot, a lot of the luxury sort of high-end wedding bands that so many of them will have either the kind of a music director, like the keyboard player or the drummer that'll have a talk back the whole time. And a lot yeah. of times if there's a lolly, he's like, all right, we're going to do a groove in this key with the bass, whatever, keep it going. And he's like talking and I'm amazed because this, you know, whoever it is, is playing and talking and directing the whole time for right. like four or five, six hours. So um, yeah, what, in terms of your communication, are you guys just kind of communicating, just yelling across the stage or, yeah, it's you know, making signals? Like turning around and, you know, going around to, or uh, sometimes they'll have like iPads with, you know, mm-hmm. set lyrics and stuff like that on there. They've even typed things out and kind of been like, hey, you know, <laughs> with text, which at least I can understand that that's, that's, you know. That's probably you know be cool. That probably comes from me, like not understanding what they're saying when they turn around. And they're like, I feel like I have a Shark Tank idea. <laughs> I'm like, hold I on, what you, did I mute myself? Or did no, Corey we hear you. Me? What's your What's your oh. Shark no, Tank idea? No, my Shark Tank idea is why don't we get these things you can implant in your head, right? Like these uh, chips, yeah, and that like, and that every single de- time that like, let's say Karen is marrying Karen, right, and she wants mm-hmm. like a set list, Paul can let Karen get into his mental IP address and then I think Elon Musk has already invented that and, and that he could already been embedded in your brain. I thought, I thought Starset invented that with the three dots on their heads. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah so, well, the question yeah, is Dustin's, who did it Dustin's first. Dustin's already figured it out, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come, well, we come to Dustin's our shows. behind ABBA. <laughs> Once we can communicate telepathically, the uh, improv jams are gonna improve. <laughs> improv that is would be improve. nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, but in a, in, a, in a practical sense, the one cool thing, I mean, not to talk about products because we're not officially sponsored by anyone, but um, for string players, we use this app called Fourscore. And um, what you can do is you can Horror actually score? like link. Yeah, for, but F-O-R score. Oh, and I it's, thought you said whore. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, it's, it's for putting PDFs into set lists and things like that. And you can link these things together with pedals and you could actually trigger all the iPads to change to the, P, the song or the piece that you're doing. So... I don't know if that would be helpful for you guys, but you, somebody yeah. could just tap a pedal or cue it up and it's going to show up on everybody else's because you're all linked together. And that's another way you can Surprise! communicate yeah. new song. silently. <laughs> so yeah, they yeah. changed the set that list. Like, you know, ahead of the time for the song, you would be able to be like, okay, this is the song that's coming next. Like the yeah. keyboard player would be able to be like, okay, I got to switch over to this song. Mm-hmm. After. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's just a, mat- a matter of, you know, when it's all done on the on the fly like that, it's hard to be like scrambling. 
Yeah. What are your favorite? What, what are your favorite things that people say to you at gigs, like good and bad? Like, what are your? Because I, I know you like quotes. Like, give me some quotes of like good and bad patrons to to either club gigs or weddings that like made you do a double take. Uh, I don't know. I I don't talk to people a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the glory of being a drummer. Yeah, I talk to my band. That you know. My singer, I'm sure, would have a million of them, but yeah, I, I just let them deal with the people. I just kind of hang out back in my drums. Well, yeah, I'll say as a violinist, as somebody that plays so many different things, everybody asks for Devil Went, Went Down to Georgia. Literally everybody. That's the first thing across the board that everyone asks for. I actually had the chance to open for Charlie Daniels uh, like a, a couple years back, uh, and it was the craziest, coolest experience. That guy absolutely shredded, came out, yeah. and he literally, so at the time, he was, I don't know, he passed away, you know, like shortly after the show, so he was 80, yeah. 80 he was like 82 or 83, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but Amazing. the guys come out rocking out, his band is ridiculous, uh, you know, and bef- <laughs> halfway through the set, he goes backstage and takes a nap, like, or he went, he, he left the stage for a solid 20, 30 minutes, and his band just took over, and like, no one, you, you didn't miss it, except I was side stage, so I just watched, I watched him like kind of walk back, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, He's going to take a song off. And nope, his band stepped up, absolutely kept the crowd like super engaged. And then he came out and they did Devil Went Down to Georgia. And like, you want to see like a bunch of like middle to much older age people rock the fuck out. You watch Charlie Daniels play <laughs> Devil Went Down to Georgia. And it, this was at a, uh, a campground uh, Indian ranch venue. So everyone that was at the show, this is at like three in the afternoon, was staying there. So they're hammered. And then, you know, he comes out and plays Devil Went Down to Georgia, and I have never seen a more rowdy crowd. <laughs> oh, people <laughs> love show. it. Yeah, it's, it's like, definitely a hit. Yeah, I think we need we need to do a Lost Symphony cover and make it super orchestral make it metal. and amazing. Yeah. Hold on, but wait, I, I have to say that we did see a pretty damn rowdy crowd where I actually had to, uh, to calm myself and say, is this really happening? Because we had Cody Ash, another drummer, mm-hmm. on the show, and he said, uh, come see Jelly Roll. And Corey and I are just like, what band is that? No. Not knowing that this dude's like on the rock charts, the rap charts, the fucking uh, like country it. charts. Simultaneously has like face tattoos, like is married to some uh, like hot like podcaster chick that like everyone knows also. And like when we went to the Palladium, which Corey and I have been going to since the dawn of time, like other than when I've seen like maybe Rob Zombie on his first tour or like, you know, really, really fucking high level like metal bands back in the day. That place was packed. It looked like it was going to fall apart. Like there were people's passing like Hennessy and Cavassier bottles around in front of the stage as they're smoking like thumb sized blunts, like with these seven foot dudes like walking around. It was a party. It was outrageous. Just wanted you, I just wanted to say that, that I was schooled, that that was like the devil went down to Georgia. Corey and I going to see the, the Jelly Roll band um, was <laughs> definitely an eye-opening experience as far as, holy fuck, that guy gets people to like go out of their minds. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. You know, it same was... thing coming back to it. It's, it's, it's entertainment. You know, there's music yes. is one level, but everything that you do has to be entertaining. And it's... You know, even with the wedding bands, it's like the amount of movement you have to do for it to come across, you know, while the same with doing videos, you know, you have to like over, overdo everything and really, really nail it. And some of the best musicians and performers I've ever played with have been in like corporate wedding bands because they just like can Energy convert transfers. from one. Yeah. Well, well to be, and the thing you. is, well, just to be completely before you go there, to be completely honest, you can make sometimes 
way more money being in a corporate wedding band than you can Absolutely. be make, being a rock star. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you think we make money doing this? No, it's it's <laughs> like if if anyone out there, like we, I know sometimes we forget because we're all somewhat in some sort of level of the industry. Some of us are higher than others, Siobhan. Um, but like to know, like you see, like the old guy that with like wearing a suit to the the gig and you're like oh that guy's poor guy he got stuck with being in a wedding band and like he drives like the sickest car because every corporate gig and wedding gig pays more than you could freaking imagine it's it's just like the the you don't really know what to expect in the music industry there's so many different avenues to success yeah. Well, the thing, and, and, and Corey can, can speak to this too, because Corey used to be my sidekick when I'd go DJ weddings. And first off, I'd go make like six or nine grand in a weekend. Like, it, it was stupid amounts of money. Like, Corey could tell you, he got, Paul, even when I, I dragged him down to play some gigs with me, I, he got paid like $500 one time to, like, I think, play like two songs. And then he's like, can I just go? I'm like, yeah, just go. Like, <laughs> we literally got paid. Like, But when you're going in it, at it, and this is what I, I wanted to say, it's, energy transfers so if i'm behind there playing like you know a party in the usa and i'm not dancing like miley cyrus is my favorite like like nobody like people look at you like you're crazy so like whether people look at you like you were crazy when you danced regardless but that's that's because (laughs) for four hours I did not stop moving, and, and and that's the thing is that like people might think I'm nuts because they think I'm on cocaine or whatever. But like we used to kick people out of weddings. Corey knows this. Like we 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 had like a wham bam slam at the end of the night where we had this like the trick where we like go like a little bit in, into Ed Sheeran. But then it's like what's my my age again by Blink One Eighty Two for all the rockers. But then something that likes like Usher, yeah. We're like nobody could be upset, and then like the parents are like what's this, and then it's, Sweet Caroline, it's over. You know, and, and that's the, you have to end it like a Guns N' Roses show and you have to do it the right times. You're like, oh, psych, psych, triple psych. And we dance the whole time. Yeah, And, and like any other job, 90% of having fun is who you're working with, too. Like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like you guys did it together and you had fun because you had somebody to hang out with and shoot the shit. And I'm sure you have a million stories. There's it's the same five couple bands, you know, it's like everybody's awesome and we, you know have all these stories of the, you know, different gigs and different weird people that we've met along the way. Yeah, the tried and true rule is, you know, the, the triangle. It's like good hang, good pay, good gig. If you have two of those, it's worth it. Doesn't matter if, if I, you know, get paid a ton of money and I'm hanging out with my friends, even if the music sucks, who give, or like who cares? Right. Um, and same thing, you know, maybe I don't get paid any money, but I'm playing in front of like, you know, 50,000 people with my friends. Like, like that, as long as you've got two sides of that triangle, mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty sweet life. <laughs> Although That's making money Cindy is also says, pretty good. If I, if I actually, <laughs> funny story that you say that, because I keep telling Cindy I'm in the Apocalypse Blues revival, and she doesn't really believe that. Um, so, like, I'm backstage at Godsmack with Shannon, and I keep telling her, I'm like, Cindy, like, you don't understand, like, Godsmack's huge. Like, if I go play in that band, it's not like being in most normal bands. Shannon would never play in a normal band. So Shannon starts telling me his 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 plan because he's a visionary. I mean, you know Shannon. He's so he's another guy that it's <laughs> he like, definitely wow. sees like, visions. He's a super hyper intelligent guy that has like a very clear cut thing of what he likes. But like, you know, he looks at Cindy, he's like, Well, 
We're going to fly Ben to Florida and we're going to pay him to play keyboards for three weeks. We're going to get Dave Fortman, who's the, uh, the hit maker. Cindy, check this out. You can come down too. It's going to be great. And look, if we tour with Kenny Wayne Shepard, we may only get a grand a night. But like, look, I'm going to do this Godsmack thing. I'm going to put some money aside because we're going to go on a bus. We're going to make sure we get showers where we need to get showers. Like, We can't live like that because he can't live like that. So even though I might be in, and by the way, Apocalypse Blues Revival, amazing band, and I'm so excited to be in it but like we may be a lower stature band in the sense of the pecking order but because our drummer happens to be in like the second biggest band according to the billboard charts in the history of time uh godsmack you know that band from boston as well i'll never have to know what a van looks like what was the point of all of that <laughs> that's yeah, what i said right? when i looked back at cindy <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where we are now. But one one thing I want to get back to is, Paul, you've been doing this a long time. You've been you've been in the music business for a very long time, and so we talked, you know, a little bit last episode last week about how there you could basically write a book on all the you know the techniques to like have a good show. But what are some other things that you've experienced and maybe have become kind of cliches that that you you know want to put out into the universe to have. St- stop happening what, do you, what are paul's pet peeves in the music business here i mean there's always when you show up and there's like you know people eating dinner on the stage and they're like <laughs> through the main course you know it's like three or four parties on the stage area and you get a wait and like you know you, you got your shit in your car and then you, you slowly take it out of your car and pile it up in front of the door you just like standing there staring at the people you know, uh, yeah, there's a couple of venues in Boston that that would definitely always seem to happen at. Um, yeah, because they don't want to lose the money of like the paying customers there. So they right. like there's that battle between like whoever the booking guy is and the manager of the restaurants. Like, yeah, I'm not kicking those people out. They're buying like, you know, this really nice wine. And, right. you know, <laughs> another round, another round. <laughs> we get the dessert menu, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's definitely one. Uh, Are you ever dealing with like uh, like coordinators or planners? Like one thing I'll say that kind of peeves me every once in a while is I'll play for you know a company that has the wedding band or whatever and there's always some person that's like the intermediary that isn't quite a musician but isn't quite the owner and they're trying to micromanage everything and they're saying oh we got to rehearse all this music I'm like I Dude, can sight read this while Corey sleeping. can tell you this there's been planners that have come up to us and after someone had a first dance been like we should do a second first dance and have everyone come to the floor and just decide to do stuff like that and I've had to literally say like you're out of your fucking mind to people because like or or people that don't cue you when the bride's supposed to be walking out because you're at a venue that's so convoluted that it's like you're at a castle and someone's across the moat and you're just like have to like <laughs> someone has to give you the eye contact and you're like and all of a sudden you just see a girl in a flowing dress and you're not playing the first seven minutes of disco inferno like she asked and you're just because the coordinator is literally on their phone texting with their back to people and then she's the one yelling at you later it's like yeah. what I'll say the first step I always take at a wedding if I'm doing any sort of ceremony is I find whoever is responsible for the ceremony and I say, hi, I'm the musician guy. I need to play the right song when the person's coming down here. This is my face. Now I see your face. Like, let's make sure that doesn't get screwed up because having done so many weddings and having screwed up so many ceremonies, not always of my 
particular fault, but more of like like Ben said, the wedding planners got a million things in their mind. So they're right. just like, all right, ceremony starting, let's go. And looking around, everyone's you know we're sitting there playing our background music or something, and and the bridesmaids are standing there awkwardly. It's just it's the court, okay, communication is important. Years. I guess would be. We I remember exactly. We were in Newport. Rhode Island, Corey and I on the water and we we're supposed to play a thousand years. And you tell people like, listen, how long is your party? And like, uh, you know, we can go for like three minutes, four minutes, but like it gets long. So you say, do you want another song or whatever? But we just have to what they call vamp it in the music industry where you just kind of repeat the things over and over and over. I think Corey and I played like an 11 and a half minute version oh, of sure. a thousand years from like fucking Twilight. And we kept going up and down because first off, they cued us like a million times too early. Like the girl actually did cue us, but they weren't ready because the bride clearly had like a problem with their shoe or something and didn't tell anyone. And then, like, grandma and grandpa, like, times seven, like, on both sides, uh, like, take just, five Just knowing hours. how long the walk is imp- is important. Like, sometimes the, the coordinator minutes. the coordinator won't tell us, like, oh, they're actually coming from, you know, a quarter mile back because they want to, like, walk through a field or something. It's like, all right, well, that song is going to not be long enough to get the first person to the thing. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Newport... Uh, gig you're talking about Ben I think it reminded me of the time we were there and we had to do Canon in D which is a pretty oh, standard standard the wedding song of all of our existence and you know what same th- like we talked about I can find the fun in that being like well Ben's doing the chords I'm doing the lead it's guitar- it's a fun guitar lick you know so and, and people we play- don't we- know what that is because not everyone does now you know the song yeah, Canon exactly. and D exactly and, and, and funny enough you sang it at that tempo because that's the tempo you started the song at as the person started oh. to walk <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's go. And he starts playing double time chords over Canon oh. D. <laughs> and and the metal thing version. is, those chords sound great until the lead comes in, and I have to go. And then you want to talk about like Devil went down to Georgia, but in a, at a wedding. <laughs> and then we gotta now mentally communicate to each other while I swear with no words to Ben, like, you're playing this incredibly fast <laughs> in front of... I, I, I'm, I always I'm guess- innocently look at him like, I am? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm guessing Because I, 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 the difference between when I play real shows and, like, weddings, which I'm actually being paid for, is I don't give a fuck at a wedding. So I'm just like, oh! <laughs> That's terrible! Right. Yeah, so I'll look at Corey. He's like, you're it's okay, he doesn't do him anymore. Don't worry chords. about his reviews. <laughs> oh, dude, I've, lived, I've won the best of the knot four times. <laughs> despite your best efforts um but yeah so like there's things like that uh where uh, paul have have you you said you play to a click now but have there been any situations where uh you are waiting for a guitarist or someone to start a song and they start at a tempo that's absolutely uh horrendous yeah i mean that's that's happened before uh usually the guys that i play with are pretty on top of it but occasionally with new songs and stuff i i just try to like bump it up as quick as I can. Sometimes I'll just jump in at the, the tempo <laughs> and everybody's going to hop on board. Just uh, get on the train. Everybody I play with is good with staying in time with the drummer. I mean, it's tough. I've, I've jammed with people that, you know, they're just kind of on their own timeline. Whether, whatever the drums are doing, they're totally separate and they're just like, yep, this is where I'm going. We'll see ya. <laughs> There's a few songs that I've found in, in multiple multiple bands I've played with that are never played correctly or never st- at least started correctly. Uh, was yeah. it, there's a Kings of Leon song that, uh, it might be like Sex on Fire Sex or something. Sex is on Fire. That I've never heard 
a band start correctly because it's got like an upbeat kind of like and the band always messes up the first like four bars when everyone comes in until they look around each other and they go wait where are we okay oh god <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i used to play that song that one was one of those songs that everybody seems to get wrong in the when the the way it comes in is just like kind well, of let me ask you this paul because yeah. you probably heard this a million times and been in a million cover bands how do you feel about people not playing the solo to any let's say let's say paradise city or sweet child of mine well wow. it depends on the song really but yeah sweet child of mine is one of those songs that you kind of got to play the solo like at least close enough to where you can tell where you are in the song because it's def- like there's so many lead sections it's just like if you don't play the right one you're gonna throw off everybody else in the band or, and probably everybody in the crowd too that knows how the song goes I mean, there's certain, you know, you can throw in little runs here and there and change up things. And this doesn't have to be note for note, but you got to know where you are in the song. And, and there's, you know, like I said, there's different songs that are different, like superstition. You can just play a wank and lead for like, you know, eight, 12, 16 measures, whatever you want. But like certain songs, like, you know, Jesse's girl or something, you got to play that solo, how it's supposed to be, or like hit me with your best shot. That's a good one. You know, you got to be in the ballpark to where everybody knows what's going on. So, you know, and it's the same for the drums, too. Like, I don't I don't really learn everything note for note or anything. I, I just kind of get the general idea and the beat and then any like things that line up with other people. I always ask, where are the stops? Because that's my main concern <laughs> with the drums. Right, right. If there are no stops, I'm just, oh, awesome. I just fucking go until the song ends. Somebody looks at me and says, hey, you know, end of song. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what sold me on Corey's cover band was because I went and saw them and they played, uh, I think it was Sweet Child of Mine or Paradise City, one of those two. And I was like, it was the first time I'd ever seen a cover band like actually nail the solos. And I was like, Backstage Pass? Backstage Pass, dude. Oh, yeah. yeah we're, it's, it's, that's that's be, more of a tribute, so we tried to be more accurate. I don't but do I'm anything that, accurately like, anymore. You yeah. don't ever, you don't yeah. ever see people fucking like Sweet Child of Mine is Jedi level <laughs> guitar playing. Like you're Slash at his best, and he, I mean he doesn't play his solos anything like he actually wrote it because he's Slash, so he can do whatever he wants. So technically, if you're that level good, you, you know, to play that, you can play whatever you want as long as you embody that. But the first, that's what sold me on Corey's Backstage Pass band because I was also. Like, wore Holy spandex shit. and wigs i should point oh, that yeah. out at the but, point so. w- because it was so seriously done it's kind of like that steel panther thing like because wouldn't Satchel, call it serious who we've, had, who we've had on the ba- well right but who we've had on the show but they but your 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 musical skills and your appreciation for what you're doing is very serious it's based in a total deep passion because you as a man would not be buying spandex and wearing patent leather if you didn't have a deep rooted appreciation for the music a reverence for the music that you have very true (laughs) Reverence. Well, <laughs> l- let me ask you this, going back to the business side a little bit, it, when it comes to booking gigs or getting discovered, because I'm sure, you know, you're somebody that wants to book a, a band for your wedding or whatever, you're going to go online, try and find something. How how are you getting found? Are you guys creating some promotional materials or do you have a website? Like how, how did you build the business side of it to, to get to booking gigs? Uh, yeah, we, we kind of built up the band uh, to a certain point, and then uh, we started working with an agency out of Boston that does most of our bookings. Um, so now it's kind of like a lot of stuff just comes our way and stuff. And, you know, we get the occasional uh, thing that comes along from clubs and stuff on the side, too. And, you know, 
So it depends, but uh, a lot of what we do is through the the agency, which is nice. And have you had to do any sort of recordings? Like, like, do people ever ask you for audio samples or video yeah. or something like yeah, that? Yeah, we we had a photographer come out last week and do some photos, and we're going to throw together some videos and stuff. And it's tough because they always want whatever you don't have. You know, it's like of course, we, yeah. We worked on this uh, really like slick pro video that was like shot in a studio and had like pre-recorded tracks. And then, of course, they want live videos. And then if you show them a live video, they're like, oh, do you have anything that sounds better? And it's like, well, it's a live video, so it doesn't sound great. So it's like now, with you know, we're working on getting something that like, you know, has footage from our live gigs mixed with footage, like audio from our live gigs. Cleaner uh, audio, yeah. Cleaner and, you know, more produced and, you know, EQ'd and mastered, whatever, the, you know, all that jazz. Um, so that we'll have something a little bit more like, you know, slick. Hopefully, yeah. Here, you know, we'll get more gigs with it. Uh, we're on their website, so it's just kind of like if you look up "Up All Night" or "Up All Night Band Boston," uh, it'll send you to their website, and you know, has all the info. But yeah, yeah. Now, in my experience, that's that's been a huge thing. I mean, it's the second you have a video that's even the slightest bit close to what people want, they like will book you so much faster than anything else. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what your well, resume is; got- it's like they just want to see exactly what they want to have. You Siobhan, know? Yeah. that's that's one hundred percent how I got my all my gigs. I had Corey make a video of me, and like if you go and look at like a lot of it's crazy. Like the highest, I when I actually dug into the marketing in Boston and I like found like the highest rated like wedding DJs like some of these guys had like 17 minute videos where like they showed the entire like uncomfortable ceremony of somebody like they had no business like maybe they said they could but like it's like uncomfortable like I was like, Corey, there's no competition as far as marketing. He made this slick thing where I'm just like, here's how I'm going to DJ your wedding. This is what I think about DJing. This is what I'm going to do for you. Basically, the first like five questions yeah. people ask. So, and the the trick was to go through, you know, like several dozen weddings and find the 30 seconds that people were having a really good time. I used that footage, and then I just slammed it over like bright flashing lights. And no, I was kidding. <laughs> no, but it's but it's kind of true because the thing is, is that people used to hit me up and they're like, "Oh, it's so professional." But the thing is, it's like I I am professional, and like the thing that was awesome was that Corey actually we had footage, and you see some of this footage like. People were moshing to like I, I to um to the killers, Mr. Brightside. We there's one gig we went to. There was like uh, I think it was Mr. Brightside into Stacy's mom or something. Like which and they went so bananas. Like the bride and groom are actually crowd surfing, and like we have video of that. So like fucking millennials. Yeah, so you see these videos of like my bands playing, and it's just like a bunch of old people. My mom going yay band like. I DJ it. At, it's not hard for Corey to get behind me at these beautiful venues that are at like fucking antique mansions or like on the water of Newport, Rhode Island, or in a museum. Like we. Did I like a, how you're I still trying a, to sell yourself, even though you don't DJ anymore. You're like, no, right. no, we, we did. <laughs> you we never did know. A, we did a party f- at, at the Harvard Club or whatever, um, or uh, at, at the Harvard Art Museum or something like that. And there's like Monet's and Van Gogh's in the rooms, and I'm like spinning in, and I'm like, oh, this is bougie. It's like I, I, I feel like groucher marks i don't want to be invited to any place that'll have me as a member you know what i mean like that's how we were like you go to the mandarin oriental in boston that place is psychotically strict they tell you as a vendor you're not allowed to pee in their bathrooms which is why i always wore diamonds and really expensive watches because i peed in every one of their bathrooms and (laughs) stole the fucking mints (laughs) true story No, but generally, I mean, generally you get a lot of comforts as like compared to, to, you know, touring with your original band, let's say. I mean, 
some of these corporate gigs are great. You know, you go, there's full hospitality, you have a full dressing room, access to so many things. So I mean, a lot of them are great gigs. I have, I'm sorry, I have to tell you this one more story because Alicia is a good friend of ours. We, I went to the House of Blues. The first times I ever played the House of Blues Boston, which used to be Avalon, which I did play, and Roxy, which and I did play. And there was a band that was sound checking and you told them that they were doing something wrong. No, 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 no. Here's what's the most important thing. So they had a corporate party. Yeah, fuck the band. They had a corporate party and there, there was a band, but the green room said DJ Benny Goodman. And I realized that I had fucking made it in life. That that and I got to go play. But now the you stage. don't DJ anymore. Because yeah, no, it said DJ I, before your name, you made yeah. it in life because it said DJ. No, because I had the green room at the House of Blues, and I got chocolate milk for free from the refrigerator that's usually locked. Yeah, but you had DJ before your name. That's terrible. What's wrong with you? That's a failure for you as a musician. <laughs> you should you should put DJ at the end of your name so it sounds like that? some sort of degree. It's an homage to can, Full House DJ Tanner. <laughs> I can press a button and point my finger. <laughs> You're just a tracer. You'll always be a tracer, Paul. Can wear diamond watches and piss in exclusive bathrooms. well dude but that's what it is well that's the joke Uh, he said it Corey said it like that you show up in a nice car I used to show up to Guitar Center with like PRS's and fucking Gibson's and they'd be like what band are you in I'm like bro I'm a DJ Uh, I can't actually play any of these (laughs) (laughs) it's so disappointing dude your mother your mother must be disappointed (laughs) she's been disappointed since 1987 it's pretty wild like piano lessons oh (laughs) Well, the piano helps with producing. But yeah, I mean, speaking of DJs, though, it's like I played at Ultra this year and a couple other electronic music festivals. And uh, yeah, I was totally blown away by how much money these guys are making. I mean, headliners like half a million, a million dollars. And like the set, you know, sometimes they don't even play their full set. They're like, all right, I'm going to go on late 45 minutes, tons of fireworks and lights, going to hype myself up for the shit that I recorded and then get the fuck out. And it's crazy. I mean... Dude, I'll yeah. tell you, I, I saw this because as a DJ, I mean, I've opened for a lot of huge DJs and like a guy like Avicii, okay, when he when he was around, he played the Boston Garden and I think he got like 275, so 275 grand, sold out the Boston Garden, played for like, I want to say an hour and 17 minutes. I know this because he then took a bus directly to the um to the Ocean Club, which is at, in Quincy, Massachusetts, on the water. And it's also like a huge giant rave club. And mm-hmm. people had to pay like $100. I think it was 150 at the door or whatever, uh, maybe 75 ahead of time. Like, welcome to like marketing. And it was sold out, sold out. And by the time he got there, there was only so much left because it's, Quincy's really a very expensive place to live. So there's noise ordinances. So he can only DJ for like 30 for 35 minutes and then he got paid like i want to say a hundred fifty thousand dollars more so the guy got paid like four like 400 grand to basically dj for like two hours and 10 minutes and the irony is i believe he went and like dj'd some after hours party the next night for free at some bullshit club in cambridge yeah and it's just like the promoters i remember hearing like what the fuck we paid him to play for 34 minutes got him like 17 bottles of moe and a shandon and like this fucker goes and plays like felt at like 5 a.m for everybody it's pretty crazy i've I've, if you look 
on the internet, you can find rate sheets, especially if, like for like um, booking agencies and booking agents mm-hmm. will have like these PDFs with their all of their artists from their biggest artists down to you know anyone, and it is sometimes absolutely insane. Especially like there is, it's very common for a million dollars plus for a single uh, you know like a DJ or someone to get on the stage and make a million dollars for their two hour set. Uh, where then you have a band who's arguably bigger make you know fifty thousand or a hundred thousand yeah. maybe. Well, uh, that's and, the actual number. Cascade yeah. at XS in Vegas when I went and saw him like maybe nine ten years ago. He was getting paid five hundred thousand dollars a show, twice a night. It was like one hundred fifty two hundred dollars or something just to get into this crazy place. Um, and he pays a hundred thousand to his manager so he was making 800 grand a night and his manager was making 200 grand and just so you know they don't have to bring any equipment they just show up with like with like usb drives i need two two channels left and right well it's like (laughs) right because they'll have like all their different but but all the tables are standardized so like you can go anywhere and as long as you have like pioneer everything everyone it's like all or serato like everyone can just plug in and you can just go anywhere in the world and you're just like well i'm not djing there unless they have two turntables and a microphone and then you're good and it's absolutely outrageous how much they got they get paid and you could just go on the plane with your laptop and like honestly, so the most depressing thing was my buddy John Garabedi, and again sat me down. Um, and I'm not going to tell you the DJ because I'm not going to shit on him this bad. But he had a special on Netflix, and he goes like he starts off with like I'm like the greatest DJ of all time. And that's not his accent, so I'm trying to, to protect him. And he's like <laughs> like I'm also a musician, and you see him like terribly playing piano, horribly. And, like he's and this guy just talks about how he's just the greatest like thing that's ever happened, and like he's talentless. Other than he's just somehow hyped himself up, like which was a certain talent, but like has nothing to do with anything musical in my mind. And then meanwhile, you have like a guy like um, Dead Mouse who has like literally a studio with a, a million dollars in keyboards, like all, everything you could see. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't really know how to play any of them." And you're just like, "These or, or Steve Aoki is my favorite. This guy goes over at the end of his set in a raft with a birthday cake." And throws the birthday cake at people's faces. They go, ah! With like rich people, like with drinking Dom Perignon. And he admits, it's all a joke. I don't like this music. I don't but, like EDM. But he's, well, he's, a, he's an entertainer. He's an entertainer. Like, the, the yes! thing is, people wouldn't make that money if they weren't somehow bringing that money in. Absolutely. Um, so obviously, we're getting away from the fact, you know, we're, we were talking obviously like the, even just the cover band versus DJ thing. Well, there's the DJ quote unquote like a wedding DJ versus the DJ like that's well, DJ, basically right. just a celebrity that's pushing buttons essentially and they, they may have gotten there with some sort of like musical thing but at a certain level like there's a huge disconnect between a DJ producer whatever the, I don't know though all the words become meaningless because they are they are songwriters hopefully um, of some kind you know they're writing the music so you know there's like DJ like the guy that plays cup it's like a cover band versus a original artist and well, you know, Mixmaster Mike who's like a, a real DJ who's like a mixologist whereas who will take beats but make his own thing you have a guy like Avicii who was a producer if you will that wrote songs yeah. as a DJ for the EDM market and also would mi- mix and match different things and then you have a DJ like me DJ Benny Goodman playing chord 
corporate gig for like a golf company um, where I get to play, jump around on stage to House of Pain and get paid for it with the lasagna and and, and chocolate milk. Yeah, which is a sweet Yeah, well, the DJs regardless. and the, the, the DJs, you know, headlining these festivals. I mean, I have a lot of respect for them. I played with Kygo at Ultra and other festivals. And I mean, he his value is drawn in from his songwriting. He's really a mm-hmm. producer, yeah. you know, and he's yeah, done so master I mean, classes The labels are weird. Like, it yeah, doesn't necessarily... So, well, David Guetta is a genius songwriter. Like, I mean, he's from, is it Sweden? Where all the, everybody I thought he there. was French, but I'm not sure. No. Um, but <laughs> da- David Guetta. David Ge- uh, well, you also said the, tur- you said, the, you said the turtles were from Boston in a previous uh, podcast, which they are not. So, it's, but, it's like confidently incorrect. <laughs> Bell, that's, that could be the title of this podcast, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, you're you're right. They're 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 really songwriters and producers, and maybe a lot of them don't even like DJing. He you know, is I didn't French. really get to talk. Oh, oh wow, I was right. Oh wow, fifty million, dude. This guy's fifty million. <laughs> but like, here's the he's thing with David years uh, old. What, what fifty million? Right? Fifty million sales. Okay. Uh, he's uh, uh, about. But you listen to like uh, nothing but the beat, which is a great record by him. And like every song's a number one because he did like the Santana thing. He's like, okay, I don't sing, so I'll get Nicki Minaj. I'll get Usher. I'll get like uh, literally an A list on every and every one of his songs with a fucking hit and instead of being 19 minutes long which he did release another version with like all these remixes and stuff for like you know when you're tripping um on ecstasy or whatever uh, but all he had like five or six number one hits on that record and i remember when i first started djing that my uh my buddy dre behind the bar got mad at me he goes do you know anybody else other than david getta because that's all whenever I was nervous and didn't know what to play because the biggest thing about being a DJ and I imagine Paul you knowing uh, being in a band like how do you get good you just gotta know a shit ton of songs you just gotta know them it's not right. even the fact that you could type them in it's like you gotta know that you're gonna go into Dr. Dre and then you're gonna go into ACDC you shook me all night long and Sweet Caroline and feel those people out because those are crazy songs but that's a wham bam slam if you're in the right place in Boston yep <laughs> we we turned this episode into uh the three of us ranting over our actual guest <laughs> I, say, I, probably, I probably had something to say 20 minutes ago but <laughs> well, you need to interrupt uh, ben <laughs> at this point i've been bombarded <laughs> let's get back to me <laughs> yeah let's let's get back to paul our actual we can, guest we can he's we can appalled. do that 20 minute uh, rant on dj benny goodman here <laughs> Right, right, right. Exactly. We all got hijacked. Oh, I like when he's mad, it. though. When he's mad, he get, he tells better stories. Well, okay. How how can we trigger Paul then? What what do we have to say yeah, to get, heard, get you back? We to just the... did that whole DJ no, story. No, but you triggered him trigger. into silence, though, not into like oh, animation. No, he's not <laughs> no, it's fine. I I have this this uh, you know I just don't like the whole DJ thing, but it's fine. I mean, there's different levels to everything, and you can be creative and be a DJ and create what? art. You know, anything. Why don't you like? Why? What's what's your animosity just, towards DJ? I'm just not into canned drum beats. Canned drum beats offend me. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's another like, title. You know what you do? Uh, I can just push this button and, you know, you can go home. 30 years of learning an instrument and you can just go home because I get this button that just goes... <laughs> but at the same time, you know, that's fine. That's just my viewpoint. Nobody gives a shit what I think anyway. And, you know, obviously a million kids love the shit out of EDM. And I'm the old fart sitting here like, oh, if I hear that fucking hi-hat cicada thing one more time, I'm going to fucking puke. 
Are you referring to trap beats? Are you talking about trap beats? Cicada thing? I mean, I, I like trap beats if there's a fucking drummer playing them, but it's not. It's a fucking... I'm like, what about drum pads? Like a drummer playing an electronic drum that's, pad how do you feel about that that's fine you're, you're giving a drummer work <laughs> yeah but don't, can you separate the uh the instrument like the instrumentation of, of electronic drums versus regular drums there's a lot of artists that implement both right so you have like you know the you might have trap drums then as like you know the verse or something then then you have your drummer come in for for a different flavor and i'm thinking of this yeah. more from the produce producing side obviously as drummers it's like well, i could do that too but right <laughs> and it all i mean it all depends what you're going for too it's you know i mean i just don't like all music in fact i i don't like most music probably so <laughs> I mean, the fact that I don't like stuff with electronic drums is neither here nor there to the music industry or anybody's, you know, it all depends what you're going for. You know, if you like that, then that's cool. I, I like old fart music with like, you know, where the tempo might go up and down a little bit or the vocals might be a little bit, you know, off pitch or, you know, everything's not snapped to the grid and exactly. Yeah, more organic. Yeah. To be, you know, you know, and but now kids these days are used to hearing that. So if they hear something that's not, you know overproduced in my opinion uh they're like oh that sounds terrible yeah you know? that's true you're kind of stuck with what whatever you were you you know came of age to listening to right uh, so there's like that i feel like that's i feel somewhat fortunate that i i kind of crossed the threshold you know with yep. like the 90s into the 2000s where i had a little bit of like the pre super cre- you know I, I i went back and listened to like i loved like bush when i was like yep. younger and and then i listened to them recently i was like oh wow that's fucking terrible that is, that is out of key out of time that guitar i'm not even sure if it's in tune um but like you know but i didn't had i had i you know 10 years later i would have never have even heard that i would have only heard the super so i feel like i have like that little bit of like ability to like find the the beauty in the in the uh disastrous tuning of things you asked (laughs) earlier why don't we release anything because i feel like it's more of an so so paul as so this is the irony so i tried convincing paul to do everything to a grid and even had him like my friend taught him how to, to to snap things to a grid and at one point he was correcting his own drums and then i started thinking to myself i kind of liked the way they sounded better without the editing once he finally learned how to do it. So everything that we do is not to a grid other than he played to a click track and like it's gotta be a tight take. Like we may comp the drums in that we might, usually it's just a solid take, but if there's a bad part, he might go, okay, take the fill from the previous take. But Hector, myself, and Paul, we all play without fixing anything. So I will sometimes, like when I played bass on his song, I wanted, I, I played three, it's not that hard of a bass line. But to play it perfectly took me like 300 times. And that's why I have appreciation for someone like Michael Anthony, who can play Pound Cake, which is just 16, uh, 16, 16, 16th notes for like five minutes straight. But like to be able to do that flawlessly is fucking hard. And that's one thing that like playing with Paul has taught me is like just the beauty and simplicity and how hard it is to play just without fixing it ever. I think it comes down more or, or it comes less down to being perfectly on the grid and more being perfectly on the grid with each other, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. There's nothing that stands out to me more. And it, this 100% comes down to the fact that it's my job to listen for this stuff than like uh, a downbeat where the bass and kick don't hit at the same time. 
Mm-hmm. That, right. That'll take me out of a song instantly. Instantly, yeah. I go. That's all right. Well, that you have no power on your downbeat there. It sounds like a flam or mm-hmm. some weird thing, and yeah. it doesn't matter if that was directly on the grid or not. It's a matter. It's a re- relative tightness between your rhythm sections, your guitars, your vocals. Like everything has to still fit into this pocket where everything yeah. plays together. And I don't necessarily think it has to be gridded. Um, with a lot of modern music, you know, gridding it makes it easier to build upon, especially when you're recording not in the same room together. Right. Everyone, if everyone's adding their layers and one person isn't tight, then it makes it more difficult for everyone else to play into a click. Uh, so there's like definitely uh, a give and take there. You know, sometimes you, you, sorry, you have to be edited to the grid because you weren't tight with the other people. Like that's just kind of how it works. Uh, and I'm not speaking to us in yeah. general. I'm speaking. I'm speaking music in general. Uh, yeah. And there's like, uh, there's definitely something about certain styles of music being robotically snapped to a grid that don't work. There's other yeah. styles of music that it's mandatory. It's hundred. <laughs> yeah. You cannot. You can't release a pop song or a metal song right now that isn't locked to a grid because, like you said, the kids for the past twenty years have not heard anything different. So as soon as they hear something that's not tight, they go, "This is." bad and right. you go like yeah. well i don't want them to think this is bad so i gotta like lock it in <laughs> that being said with like a more rock and like uh even like grungy t- kind of vibe you don't want that you don't want it to sound super locked in to a, a, a metronome you want it to sound like a band in a room which means if you didn't record it live and there wasn't a producer to say that was a good take and you're all recording it separately, but you're not all to a grid. It just sounds like you suck at playing live. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And like for me too, like the metal that I like that I would emulate is metal that was made before all of that, like mm-hmm. Pantera and Metallica and Anthrax where it's like, but Pantera of is one of the tightest fucking bands of all time. Yeah. So and if I'm you're all, if you're trying to emulate that, if you're trying to emulate Pantera, and and once again everyone's locked in those hits, regardless right. of the grid, it sounds as tight as a gridded modern yeah, recording. That's, and that's my belief is that if it's not locking up, you don't need to snap it to the grid. You need to go home and practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come back. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know? no one does that. Because <laughs> they no. can all use technology. Well, you can fix that, right? Well, and part, well, part of the art, too, and, and one of the reasons I love Corey's ability to edit drums is because editing drums is an art because there's a balance between making it the Terminator and, and, and devoid of human feel and also having a little bit of feel. So, you know, you can fix everything, but you can't fix lack of groove in the sense that, like, unless you're completely faking it, like, there, you... There's a thing about groove that like you really have to do it properly for it to be able to be fixed properly. And the thing is that you also have to make a lot of uh, you have to answer a lot of questions of should I do this or should I leave this alone? But I need to fix this. So like obviously we know uh, when the bass and the, and the and the kick drum don't lock in properly, it has to be fixed. But there's other little nuances you might do on your cymbals where it's like I'm not going to fix that because there's a little bit of naturalness. Yeah, but. That's a, that's the art of doing the the drum fixing in the sense still sounds natural, but it's also tight to a grid. Yeah, without getting too deep into the technical stuff, like when I do edit any instrument, I'm not I'm not just selecting everything and hitting quantize. You know, you know, I, I may start by lo- getting everything rel- relatively close to the down beats and and the uh, and the just everything onto the at least close to where it should be. But then you got to listen and say, like, I would never do that to a drum fill or anything, you know, because drum fills push and pull and that's what yeah. gives them their, their energy. So if I were to take everything that, that like really drove you into that next downbeat and, and 
pushed it back, it would sound like you were, it would almost sound like you're behind a beat with certain drum fills, even if yep. they were perfectly on, on grid like that. So there's, it's, it's a matter of, it's, you know, it's a stupid thing, but use your ears. It, yeah. everything in audio production is use your ears should i eq it this way maybe use your ears should i edit it this way maybe use your ears uh yeah. there's no one answer but some genres and some styles have more of a strict um guide you need to follow to have that sound and that's the thing is if a, a band comes into work at, at my studio ben studio whatever we're doing um and they're like i want to be a radio rock band I'm yeah. sorry, you're going to be tuned and timed and everything's going to be immaculate and that's how it's going to go. If they're yeah. like, hey, this is my sound, this is what I want, I want right. it to be a little loose, then great, awesome, let's do that. But yeah. it's it's as the editing and production is as subjective as the notes you choose uh, right. in a lot of instances like that. And I think, you know, I think that's why it's important, like the stuff you're working on with Ben, I can't wait to hear it because I know it's not going to sound like a radio rock song. It's yep. going to sound like Paul Lorenzo. And it's going to, you know, like that's that's something unique to you. That's that's something that can be missing from a lot of people that come in now and they go, I want to sound like Nickelback. I want to sound like this band. I want to sound like that. And it's like, awesome, let's do that. I love when people say, I want to sound like this band because that gives me a challenge as a producer to listen to that band and go, what are they doing that makes them interesting? I mean, as an artist, if I was releasing a song, I don't necessarily think I would go in with that attitude. I want to sound like this band particularly, but some people have a sound in mind where they're yeah. like, I want to be able to compete with artists in this genre. And there's right. a threshold you have to meet to do that. Whereas there's other artists that go like, I wrote this music. This is how it sounds in my head. Can you get it out there? Yeah. And uh, as a producer, you have to go, okay, yes, hell yeah. Let's let's make something new. Let's make something fresh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, make sure your, your kick and bass lock together. Otherwise, it sounds like shit. <laughs> <laughs> the lesson of the story. Well, one thing I, I love about, you know, speaking of being off the grid, one thing I love about classical music and what it taught me playing in orchestras is you're never on any grid. And especially when you're doing orchestral recordings, it's like solid take or not. You know, you can't like isolate the oboe when there's overhead mics and fix something. And, you know, so much of it is learning how to tune your ear to like, what do I need to lock in with? Even if it's a singular person on the other side of the room, what do I have to listen to that's going to help me play better and like kind of bring everything together like a magnet, you know, like everyone just drawing the energy to like some sort of central location. Something that you did that was incredible. And uh, cause we just recorded the Lost Symphony song. It's called A Beginning of the End. Um, it's it's uh, called the, the Beginning it, of the End, not A Beginning yeah, of the End. The, the, the Beginning of the End, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, uh, an homage to Jason Becker in that the end of the beginning. So we're kind of in the same place. You know, um, but when we went to record it, um, we recorded it in our, in our friend Ernie, uh, or Ernie's place. This beautiful room with tons of cool cars in it, and it had this beautiful ceiling. And just the way it was designed, it sounds incredible. But we did the thing that made the song so epic, and, and and it really gives me goosebumps in the mix is the fact that um, we got you, Marco, and Susanna to all play. I'm trying to say it right. Shoda was helping me. Um, uh, all playing at the same time. And I remember like we heard a bad note here and there, but we had to say, what did it sound like on the playback? Because like it's so good for three minutes and seven seconds at a time that it's like, is that the take we're using? And like, does it sound good with the song? Because the realistic truth is you're not going to be completely intonated perfectly with each other for three minutes and seven seconds without dipping up and down just a little bit. And it's interesting. So we're we're in the middle of the production of the song right now, which is kind of cool. So you, you guys, 
um, I assume someone's listening to this podcast. Uh, hopefully, you also enjoy Lost Symphony. But Check. literally, we are in the middle of the production. I know that uh, Ben and Paul, you guys are getting together to do some more stuff. Uh, you know, because the song has now grown since the initial when we tracked the drums. The song was like what eight minutes long. Now it's twelve minutes long. So like, there's more going on. That was uh, my fault. A little we're bit. gonna. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all good. It it it, it has now become something you know, beyond what it We did an electronic was. beat that he needs to get rid of because he hates them. So we're like, we got the idea. So now like we want to get him angry because when he's angry, he plays better. But we yeah. actually did put yes. fake drums in there to, to enrage Paul they're, because that's how we get the fear. They're, they're placeholders. And and when we, when we put the, the electronic drums in there, the first thing I thought was like, wow, this needs to be real, not fake drums. <laughs> yeah. no. So it'll Sucks. be, it'll be cool. But you know, I'm excited to hear what you guys come up with. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, going to be really interesting that this this song here is going to be recorded over such a long period of time because people are going to be able to kind of check out the process um, a little bit and I'm sure we'll do some behind the scenes videos of everything and uh, we'll we'll have to actually talk about you know all the different elements that went into this because this is not a standard single that a band is releasing this has been a a pretty epic journey, <laughs> including well, international travel that everything, and other things. Every, everything's always rushed in this band. And like, I was looking like we, I started sending out ideas in December and that was also after talking about it for two months. So like we're now in April, right? Like it's, it's going to be May. It's May, May, it's May. And we're in May now. Um, it's so going to yeah, be five May. Months. Yeah. It's, it's, it's five months into it and we're still coming up with ideas and, and we're still going to have Paul come down and do another round of drums, even though he's most of the ideas are down, but now it's like the fun stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like, we have no rush to do it any other way, but the right way, because we've always been forced to do things under deadlines. And the truth is, is that like almost no bands get the leisure that we're getting right now to kind of just be like, all right, let's just take as long as it needs until we feel like it's right. Because like we've, that's the cool thing about Lost Symphony. It's always just been like, well, we get it done when it when it's ready. It's true. Um, so we are we are coming to the end of our second hour here with Paul. And uh, once again, Paul. Hey, we should talk to Paul now. Paul, yeah. who barely got a word in on his own second episode. <laughs> Paul inspired a thought. I think that was that was important. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously you know we do appreciate you hanging with us obviously we uh this is this is a result of a last minute cancellation so we, you know it was it, it was a huge help to chat with you and it's also i think our funniest episode is our previous chat with you so if you guys haven't checked out actually make sure you, make sure you go back and uh and take a look at our previous episode with paul I'll put a link below in the description but uh before we do go we got we just got a couple minutes left uh, you know what do you want people to kind of be uh, checking out? Where can people find you online? You know, not only for your art, but also the music stuff. Uh, well, my Instagram is just my name, Paul Lorenzo. My Instagram has all of my artwork and a lot of videos that I post of me playing drums. Also, I have a YouTube that's also under my name. Uh, like and subscribe. It's just me playing drums. I don't uh, pontificate on any of my opinions or any of that jazz. That's what this is for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just, and do you have a storefront for your art, like a place that people can buy it or online store? Um, yeah, I do have. Uh, I think I got an Etsy store or something like that. I'll have to. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to circle back and uh, yeah. Those- shoot me, right. shoot me the link. We'll put it in the description below. Okay, yeah. Well, he's also on, on LostSymphony.com. Oh, there's there's a store in Plymouth, Massachusetts called Thirteen Court. And I have a whole section in there of all my original artwork that you can buy, prints, all kinds of different awesome. stuff. If you're downtown Plymouth, Massachusetts, 
on vacation or whatever, 13 Court. The name is the address. It's at 13 Court Street. It's right downtown. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, other than that, online, I'm sure I got some links I can uh, send you guys. All right. Some stuff that I make like a dollar a pop on or something like that, you know. Well, we'll get you a few dollars. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I have to say for everybody, if you really want to hear Paul's genius, it's, it's go back and listen to chapters one through three of Lost Symphony. Go to lostsymphony.com. And first off, you can watch a lot of the videos where most of them are actually the takes of him actually playing. Because if, if it looks like he's playing, it's because he actually is playing it. Um, and it's one of those things where, like, knowing that he just came in, like, sometimes he was going to be late to work, like, he was, like, running out, like, these are all done haphazardly, and to think the level of genius and the crazy, like, the incredible work that you did, and also Corey did to make it sound huge, and to edit it all together properly with everything, um, I, I think it's it's just a, a great testament to what we've done, because um, we even played with the guy from Testament, so, like, you know, like, let me ask you this, Paul. This is important. Practice what you preach, all right? Yes. Great song. So with Lost Symphony, like, you've been in 100 bands. Did you ever think you were going to play with, like, two-fourths, uh, two uh, two one-half <laughs> of uh, the Russ and Peace lineup of Megadeth? No, no, no. I never thought Did you I'd ever play. think you'd play with Skolnick? What's that? Did you ever think you'd play with Skolnick? No, no. I never thought I'd play with Benny Goodman either. DJ Benny Goodman. <laughs> He's like, that's not the Benny Goodman I'm talking about. Not to be confused. But that said, like we we've we've done a lot of things that, like honestly, again, as I think we're all a little not as much as Siobhan, who's like just a very successful musician, but Corey, myself, and Paul are different levels of jaded. But I, I think we have to say with a lot of the things we all accomplished with Lost Symphony that like we should be proud of that kind of stuff. Everything from your drum takes to the fact that like we got to play with some of our heroes that I certainly knew uh, know that I grew up with on my walls. Yeah, and so most importantly, I, get, I hope that the people listening are proud of us too. Yeah, yeah that's all I really be totally proud, proud of us. us. <laughs> you should be wicked proud of us, man. If we could use some pats on the back. Yeah. <laughs> I want to pat myself on the back. <laughs> I used to say Ben was going to break his arm doing that, but uh, we, uh, <laughs> Paul, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you. As always, and uh, I can't wait to get this new track out uh, eventually at some point this year. I'm sure it'll happen. And release and, some of your other songs. We're waiting yes. to hear them all. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we'll get them together. <laughs> and uh, for everyone else, oh, so shit, Paul, you have to draw a uh, self-portrait for this episode. Oh, snap. Oh, shit. <laughs> he probably already has that one down. He'll probably just like regurgitate something we won't even this know. This might be the I've hardest got... one yet. No, like, no, the self-portrait is the ultimate artistic. No, has to be a current. So many self has to be a current self-portrait. In the self wearing this hat. Yes, exactly. So, because I didn't you should, dude. You should. That's absolutely <laughs> what it should. You, you should draw yourself wearing exactly what you're wearing right now. Yeah. Yep. For everyone listening and, and, and watching, make sure you check out Paul's art and uh, and the music he's putting out and he's going to continue to put out. And uh, and stay tuned for more Lost Symphony. Check out 2020-D.com. You can buy a shirt that Paul drew. It's got a picture of the, the three of us, the, the host there. It's, uh, it's weird, but you can buy it. It's not against the He does the rules. all the tunes and of our show, if you didn't get that. like he write, he, Every single show that has a cartoon, we send it to Paul at like the day after we record it, and he basically just draws it and sends it back to us, and they always look ridiculous in the sense that they just, like, how did he do that? How did he just look at that picture and just make that look like that? It's a talent. It's true. And before we draw this on any longer, uh, goodbye. You've been 2020 <laughs> You've been 2020 
Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 63, featuring Alex Skolnick of Testament and the Alex Skolnick Trio. Check it out. I'm hearing all this jazz being remastered. And it was magical. Like, there was one session I heard, and they were remastering um, John Coltrane. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like he was in the room. They had it set up. Wow. So it sounded like a recording session. And I knew the name John Coltrane, but I had just never been, like, clobbered over the head with his music. And hearing it like that, it was the first time that I felt anything like when I first heard um, Van Halen very loud doing Eruption. It was like that kind of thing, like, whoa. Yeah, it was uh, intense, it was spiritual, it was virtuosic, it was technical. It was going so many places. And I'm, I'm, I'm hearing this, and uh, I can't see behind the door. And I, I, I peek down, I'm just, I gotta know, who is that? You know? I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.